Hello and welcome to the Malt House Games podcast. It was really difficult for me just now to not laugh because while our music was playing, I started thinking of a meme I saw this week and I started laughing and I was like, oh shoot, we have a podcast. I got to hold it. It was really difficult just now, but I was stone-faced, used my therapist face. And welcome to the Malt House Games podcast where we stay on topic and talk about board games, tabletop games, witchcraft and wizardry and beard. Here today is my lovely purple player and co-host Delty McNelty. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. This is the magnificent, fantastical Haley episode, which is also episode number... 69. Hey, Nice. We are 12-year-olds. <laughs> 12 and a half, thank you very much. It is also the season of cancer in terms of the... Um, Astrological signs. Uh, thank you. Astrological signs, which looks like a little sideways 69. So there you go. Oh, well, that's fantastic. I thought it was Pisces was the little two, but I guess it's. Oh, I thought. I guess it's cancer. Uh, what's the. So it's the crab, right? Yes. Which is me. Because Delton's I'm crabby. crabby. I'm crabby. And you turned 29 this week. I did. June 22nd was my birthday. I'm now 29 years old. Almost to the dirty 30. My knees are like 50. So there we are. They're getting better, though. They probably like degressed to like 35 now. They made some progress. We just we have a lot more progress to go. <laughs> but that's okay. Is degressed even a word? I think I tried to say deteriorate and improved and well, something at the same time. If you use the term regress, it would seem like they're getting worse. Right. Right. It's like, almost a weird spot. They've They have improved, they have prog- but they've gotten younger. Yes. Dim knees done got better. There you go. Dim knees done got better, y'all. Done got better. Y'all, so this is the episode 69. Nice. We're going to say that all episode. And we're going to talk about some fun and exciting things today. So Delty, what's been going on the last couple of weeks? The last few weeks, I'm actually trying to remember. We went to your parents' house. We went to my parents' house for Father's Day, my birthday, and my father is retiring after 45 and a half years with his company. And I thought he had lost his filter like back in the 70s, but since he like Larry's reached retirement, the jokes have gotten so dirty. <laughs> well, I think it's a mixture of that and with being staying at home being kind of quarantined that he hasn't had the attention and the audience. And so he, right now he's needing attention because my mom will just tell him, shut the hell up if he's being <laughs> annoying. So we were the unlucky audience members for his performance. However, it was still very nice to see him. My father is 70. He was 42 when I was born, if you want a nice age uh, separation, actual numbers there. Delton was a surprise. I was a very large-headed surprise. And uh, yeah, so dad's 70. He's retiring after 45 and a half years. And it was nice to go home. First time we've seen my parents since in March when we went to Montreal. Right. You saw them in March. I saw them in February. Yeah. So it's been a long time. And my mom told me, I have to see you on your birthday. I don't care how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. So... We decided to just go home, hang out at their house, and relax. You know, Larry might have taught a lot of dirty jokes this weekend, but I taught them how to let squash do the dirty. I taught them how to hand pollinate squash. That's true, you did, and that's a big thing. Taking a male flower, snipping the petals off, pollinating the female flowers with it. I'm pretty sure it's the pistol. Pistol. Isn't yes. that what that's called? No, yeah. I don't know. It's been a long time since fifth grade biology. A very long time. So it might be the pistol. What's the stamen, if that's the pistol? I think that's the, the female plant's part, is the stamen. See, I thought the stamen but it was might the, be the male, opposite. and the pistol was the female. I mean, maybe she, maybe so. Anyway. I, I don't know. Anyway, the male has all the pollen, which is the pollinator for the female plant, and that's how you get little baby squash that grow up big and strong and go in my belly. Speaking of which, I grew a zucchini that was bigger than my head. That's not hard to do. You have a small head, but it was a nice zucchini, and it tasted good. Okay, it was almost as large as Delton's head. That is an impressive feat of nature. <laughs> <laughs> a delicious feat of nature. It was delicious with the miso butter on the uh, pellet grill. Yeah. Well, I poured the first beer while Haley was talking and letting you in on some of what we've been doing. Before we continue, I figured we'd get into this beer. This beer is Tin Fitty, an imperial stout from Oscar Blues Brewery. They are in Colorado. This says 1050 Imperial Stout. This doggle hunt. I never knew what that meant. Like in the Primus song, it says, dogs will hunt. Dog will hunt. I don't know what that means. 
Anyway, it says half-baked, fully roasted ale. I think it's like, it'll get it. Like, I mean, get I, it kind I of guess. Thing. Would you like me to Urban Dictionary it? Uh, no, Source okay. of all wisdom. Okay, go ahead then. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, it says uh, alcohol by volume is 10.5%. It is a very dark beer, and it says cross-eyed, cyclopean, cancupiscent? 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 I don't know what that word means. Dog will hunt means that'll do the trick. That'll work. Oh, okay. It's just a really redneck way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> Dog will hunt. I only know that from Primus. My name is Mud. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, that's the only time he, he yells it in the background. Dog will hunt. Well, I know that that's when he yells it, but you've never heard it outside of that context? No. Ah. I don't hang out with 70-year-olds aside from my dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we learned a lot this weekend, so I'm sure you would have heard Dog will hunt I, at some point. At some point in time. So this beer is... Extremely dark, and you can't see a hint of light in it. Black as night. Ooh, it smells very dark. Mm. Smells Ro- very sweet. Robust and malty. A not little a, caramel. Not a coffee like I was expecting. More of a caramel to right. me, like a toasted caramel. Like a really a, sweet caramel. Yeah. All right, give it a taste. See what it tastes like. See how it hits your tongue. Wow. It's very front forward for a dark beer. Ooh, the aftertaste very is like sweet. a really roasty. The aftertaste like is very roasted. Very lingering aftertaste. Yes, it's very thick, kind of almost syrupy. Very full and frothy mouthfeel. It kind of has a smoky afterbirth. <laughs> smoky afterbirth. It almost feels like you're drinking the frothed milk from a latte. Yeah. It's got that really thick, foamy, frothy feel, but it's like very rich and there's a lot more texture to it as well you ever had a caramel macchiato like a legit one no well that's only had starbucks ah okay well like a real caramel macchiato from like a fancy hipster coffee shop with like the the real caramel that's heated Mm -hmm. this is what it tastes like it it has like that little Mm. bit of burnt yeah in in the caramel flavor um plus the espresso is really rich but whenever the espresso is fresh before it gets bitter Mm -hmm. that's what this tastes like it tastes like a a really fresh Hipster Kama Macchiato. I mean, in terms of Imperial Stouts, this is, I mean, this is an Imperial Stout. There's no doubt about it. And it's actually very good. I I don't ever know what to think of companies like, you know, is it Oscar Blues? I I don't have them. They're not local, so I don't have them very often if I do. Uh, And the can design on this one is not appealing to me. It's really not, which pushes me away from beers a lot. But this is really good. Like, if you want a good Imperial Stout, this is solid. Yep, second. It's nothing super crazy, but it's just, it's really solid. They say don't judge a book by a cover, but I will judge a beer by the can. A beer by the bottle. Or the beer by the bottle. Beer by by the bottle. Don't know if you guys realize this, but we are not recording on Saturday night before this episode comes out. It is a Thursday night, and I have to have it done by Friday night, or else we won't get it out. Because we... (laughs) are leaving Saturday morning to go with Haley's family to Branson to a cabin on the lake, and we're going to try as hard as we can to never leave that cabin. I'm going to bring guns. No, don't do that. Okay, not that kind of cabin by the lake. No, but it's going to be a good time watching TV, having some drinks, eating food, and that's basically how we're going to live for several days. Well, we're each going to get one bottle of alcohol, and we're going to pack all of our food, and we're going to live in the cabin, and then... Uh, I'm going to hang out with my niece. My niece is bringing her tar, she calls it. She's three, and she has a little little tar, and I'm bringing my guitar, so we're going to sing some songs. i got to practice tonight. I have, like, 120, like, old country and rock songs because all of those songs are in the key of E, and they use the same five chords. So I can, I'm a, I'm a pretty great uh, song performer, I guess. <laughs> artist. I'm not really an artist. A, co- a, a cover, cover band. I'm a really good cover band. There you go. For this. I, I would have been hot stuff in the 60s and 70s, man. I know all five of those chords, like the back of my hand. That's true. So we're going to do that, chill out. Uh, speaking of which, my, my niece is three, and uh, you know, I was texting my sister today telling her that we've been doing some jujitsu with with my friend Brian, and uh, I said, I'm going to teach Lakin how to fight. And Riley says, I think she already knows how to fight. She has this, I don't know where she learned it from, but she's been telling people, I'm going to eat your face. I'm like, <laughs> and my niece goes by her first and middle name. I'm like, well, all serial killers go by their first two names, so she fits right in. That's very true. Every one of them. So I'm so excited to hear my three-year-old niece go, I'm going to eat your face. I'm real excited. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. She's going to look so cute doing it. I think that's about everything. We had a good Delty party, Delty birthday. 
not really a party, just him and his parents and me eating cake in the in the kitchen. And then on my birthday itself, I took off and stayed home to sit and do nothing. And I had ordered Delton uh, wrestling shirts. Yeah. And they came in the day after his birthday, which was fine because Delton had already ordered them for himself and they came in on Friday. Just one. Just one. They had a shirt. I wanted to get me and Haley matching ones because they were half off, so they were 12 bucks a piece. Which is kind. So I ordered us both one without telling her and got her a shirt. And that came in like a week before mine did. And then she, I got mine and she had gotten me the same $12 shirt, but then she got me another shirt that I really wanted as well. So it was okay. Him got spoilt a little bit. I did. Him got two cakes. That's also true. <laughs> uh, I'm also, I've almost got all my keyboard stuff so I can build my keyboard soon, which is very exciting. I've been diving into uh, constructing your own mechanical keyboard and all the different hobbyist things with that. And that's been fun. And then on the video game front, I'm going to highly, highly recommend Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I have dove in. I'm like six to six and a half hours in. I'm not even 10% through with the main story. And it's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Very, very happy with it. Very excited. I can't run it at 60 frames a second on my PC at max graphics, but I can run max graphics at 30 frames, which for a game like that, is 100% okay, because you don't need 60 frames. It's not a first-person shooter or something. So enjoying it very much, recommend it. That's basically been my life. It has been his life. It's been a, I think it's been a good life you've had. I think so. And now Delton's sad because he doesn't get to play all weekend. He has to wait until Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday night if we're not too tired. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to play. I'm so sorry. Once we wrap this episode up, I'll play a little bit. So boom. Hell yeah, brother. That means let's get moving. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cute fluffy cats and little baby squirrels, welcome to the communist episode of the Malt House Games podcast. This is the hammer and sickle episode because Haley wanted it that way. In honor of Perestroika and Glasnost, I am going to be openly discussing my favorite commie-themed games today. This is also your favorite game. It is. We are talking about Twilight Struggle. And first, I'm going to butcher how you play out of excitement and my poor ability to explain rules to things. Then Delton's really going to tell you how it's done. So before you get into that, Twilight Struggle, this is the deluxe edition, which I think is every edition now. It is put out by GMT Games, LLC. I always thought it was just GMT, but it is indeed GMT Games. Uh, The game design is by Jason Matthews and Ananda Gupta. Development is Jason Matthews. The art direction, box art, and package design are all by Roger McGowan. The map is Mark Simonich and Guillaume Reese. The counters and rules layout is Mark Simonich, and there is a bunch of playtesting, proofreading, production coordination by Tony, Curtis, and some more producers, most of which I've already named. Okay. With that being said, Haley, let's see what you can do. So... With Twilight Struggle, it is a two-player game where one of you plays the grand old US of of A, the other one plays Mother Russia, the USSR, which is a combination of Russia and all of her satellite states. Quiz. Okay. What does USSR stand for? The Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Ding, 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 ding. It's not just Russia. It's Russia and all the satellite states because... The Iron Curtain kept expanding west and west and west, and so we all started to sweat until 1989, whenever the Berlin Wall fell bum, bum. under the direction of Mikhail Gorbachev. Gorby, Gorby, Gorby. Anyway, this game takes place from the end of World War II in 1945 to the end of the Soviet Union in 1989. And so this game takes part in three different phases. Uh, there's, they're split up. By, was it into, what was it split up by? Is it Early war, mid-war, late war. Early war, mid-war, late war. So yeah. Yeah. So it's basically uh, the, I think about like the Korean War era, the Vietnam War era, and then like the 80s. They don't really have a war at that time because they're spolt. But anyway, uh, during the three phases, you are trying to advance not only how many states you control, the United States, or have under your influence, quote unquote, uh, as the United States and as the USSR, you are also trying to advance on the space race track, and you are trying to reach little missions and objectives and goals for yourself, all while playing this tug-of-war race to not go into nuclear war. If at any time uh, 
we go into into nuclear war, the game is over. Nobody wins. That is mutually assured destruction, my friends. The person who triggers nuclear war loses. The other person technically wins. But we're all dead, so we all lose. Yes. In the reality of things, we would all have lost. That is mutually assured destruction right there. And so you go through the three phases, and we've never actually made it after phase two without somebody dying. But uh, your goal is to either become dominant and reach to, what is it, 10 points? How many points is it? 20. 20 points. It is a tug-of-war point system. It's a tug-of-war. So as one side gains points, the other one loses points. So it's very much tug-of-war. It is, uh, you have to watch multiple different facets, not only your, your points, but your space and what you control. And you have to not blow up the freaking earth because you can't get your knickers in a knot. I like it. And so basically that's how you play the game. Uh, Typically I play Mother Russia um, because I love the communists for some reason. I've always had an obsession with the communists, uh, which is why this is the communist episode. And Dalton usually plays the USA. But it's really cool because throughout the game you have uh, cards that are real events. Like you have the Gulf or the Bay of Tonkin incident, quote unquote. You have the Gorbachev and Reagan summit where they meet to discuss politics and meet for the first time in decades. You also have uh, political events that happen in the United States and in the Soviet Union. You have countries breaking away and switching alliances. It is fantastic. It is awesome. You will learn a lot and you will take over the world as Mother Russia. At least in my case. What did I miss? In terms of the theme of the game, I think you've nailed everything. So yes, as Haley says, it's the USA versus USSR. You are vying for control over the different parts of the world, mainly Central, South America, Africa, the Middle East, and Europe, Eastern and Western. So basically the whole world but Australia. Uh, I think somebody could actually own Australia. Well, like you you didn't mention Australia. Yeah, Australia. Like Australia and uh, most of Asia, those have... Uh, less countries to be that are considered like part of the game, even though they're important. There's yeah. less of them. Most of the action is going to be around Europe and the Middle East. Yeah. So yes, the way the game is going to play is you actually do all of your actions via a system of card-driven play. The cards are going to have a number, which gives you so many points for different actions. If you want to put people in a city you already control, by golly, you play a card worth three points, and you put three of your little token numbers. You flip it up to three points and there you go now every single card also has an event on it every single card you play from your hand whether you use uh, the points or the event if the event is for the opponent because some cards say USS only event some say USSR only event some of those events you won't be playing because they're your opponent's events your opponent gets to play them no matter what that sounds strange, I know, but it's you play a card, it's for your opponent, you get to do your action before or after they do the event, but they are going to do that event no matter what. This is hard to deal with. As we go through this episode, I'm going to give some Soviet Union um, Cold War facts. Okay. At the end of the Cold War, whenever Russia gave over a lot of their nuclear arsenal, or at least had it accounted for, nine nuclear backpacks were never found. Nice. Go ahead. So what's interesting about this game is if you have a hand, you're the USA player, and your opening hand has all USSR event cards. Generally, this would be seen as something that's bad for you. You would not like this. However, in reality, that's actually a great opening hand for the USA player because you determine what actions your opponents are going, is going to take with those events because one card will not ever be played, and you're going to determine when they play those events. So if you've got one where they somehow get to put a lot of support in the Eastern Europe, in the Eastern Europe, in Eastern Europe, you get to decide when they put that support there. You can decide if you want to do something before they have the opportunity. So really, the way this game is functioning is you're doing all that you can, but you're trying to control when your opponent acts, not how they act. Cold War fact. Gorbachev is the reason why there are so many pizza huts in Russia. In the 1990s, whenever, after the... While fell and the Soviet Union dissolved, there is still a lot of mistrust of Western enterprises. And Gorbachev, after the whole business of opening up Russia, made a lot of enemies in the Russian government, 
uh, was no longer president and really didn't have a lot of friends, and now Russia, and he signed a deal with Pizza Hut to star in a Pizza Hut commercial, which thus gave him some money, and also made Pizza Hut more of a thing in Russia because people saw Gorbachev, Gorby, 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 eating a pizza, and so they're more likely to welcome Pizza Hut into their hometowns. That's interesting. Is, are they still there, all those Pizza Huts? Yeah, it's a really awkward commercial, too. I'll have to show it. To, we have to link it with this episode. Yeah, we'll have to find it on YouTube or something. It's easy. I'll, I'll, I'll show it to you. Okay. Well, they need to replace those Pizza Huts with something better, like Domino's or Marco's. Well, I mean, there's more now because it's <laughs> yeah, now, quote-unquote, capitalist, more capitalist. Quote-unquote. Quote-unquote. But yeah, so the game is going to be focused around that card play. You're going to be trying to maintain control of countries, and then you want to get dominance in a region, meaning that you control battleground countries and all of them. Battleground countries are important, and they are how you're going to score points. There are cards in the game that you may play at any time when they're in your hand. They are basically scoring in Asia, scoring in the Middle East, scoring in Europe, scoring in Africa. And you play it, and you score based on who has control of what cities, if somebody has dominance, and so on. The Bolshevik Revolution was in 1917. <laughs> okay. There is also the space race, because you're competing with Russia. The space race is a great way to burn a card you just do not want your opponents to be able to use the event on, or something like that. First dog in space name was Leica. It was a USSR dog. She died in space. Didn't every animal that went to space die in space? Almost all of them. Recently so, they come back, but Leica did not. What? I believe she was the first animal to go to Pluto. Oh, I don't ugh, did she I don't think she lived long enough to go to Pluto. She yeah, she made it to Pluto. Doesn't mean oh. she was alive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair, fair, good point. I'll have to look that one up. I'm gonna fact check that one real quick. Fact check that one. But yeah, so this game is just a big tug of war, uh, back and forth, gaining points, losing points, and trying to basically uh trip your opponent up and find an opening in where you can make a play and control when their event happens, which can help control how you respond to said event and hopefully come out on top. It is a very difficult game to be good at. And one of the things I wanted to point out with this game, I mean, obviously it's based on real history. It's very well researched. And if you ever look this up on the internet, it's a very well-loved game. There is an app for iPhone and Android and as well as Steam on the PC. I believe it's $10. Normally, it goes on sale for 5 here and there. Uh, it is very much worth it to help learn the game, help get the gist of how things happen, but I still can never win ever, even on the app after playing it several times. Okay, I lied. She just orbited Earth. She did not go to Pluto. Okay. But she was a stray dog. Aw. And she died within hours. Aw. Well, of course she did. Poor thing. She overheated. Oh, God. Stop it. You're bringing the <laughs> podcast down, you lunatic. Well, she didn't really suffer You sound that like much. a Russian back during these I, times, just evil. I mean, she didn't suffer that long. <laughs> That's true. Thank goodness. Poor thing. Bless you, Leica. All right. Anyway, one thing I did want to point out is the rulebook for this game. Uh, Twilight Struggle has a decent-sized rulebook at 31 pages. However, the last, I don't know, let me see, starting at page 20, so the last 11 pages, are nothing but the historical descriptors of the cards because the images on these cards are real. The descriptors, descriptions, I don't know why I said that, uh, are real. For example, uh, let's, let's find a good one here that's something that I had no clue was ever a thing. Brush War. It says 1947 to question mark. Also characterized as low-intensity conflicts, brush wars tended to begin in reaction to local conditions either within a state or between states. However, due to duration or superpower intervention, an essentially uh, local dispute could be elevated to superpower conflict. Examples include the civil war in Mozambique and the war between Ethiopia and Somalia. So it's these historical facts it tells you about these cards. The Muslim Revolution, the uh, AB-ABM Treaty, Cultural Revolution, Flower Power, the U-2 Incident, Panama Canal Returned, Camp David Accords, Alliance for Progress, Africa Scoring, that's a scoring card the iron lady one small step all these historical things you can read about as well as read the flavor text on the cards so that's just a really cool thing that's in the rule book you will learn a lot you really will but the rule book the other thing i was going to say is it if you've never read a gmt games rule book with a game like this they are laid out in sections section one introduction section two components Section 3, game setup. Section 4, game sequence. Section 5, card play. 
Within those, section five goes all the way to, I guess it's pretty short, section 5.5. In six, which is operations, it goes all the way to 6.4.6. Seven goes to uh, 7.4, 7.6. Yeah, there's a 7.4.3, a 7.4.2, 7.4.1. It's a very detailed rule book. It leads you all around the place. But my goodness, it makes rules easier because you can find them, but it is daunting at first. So if you're trying to dive in and read the rule book, be prepared to take your time, jump back and forth, and slowly grow th- go through it, preferably with the board in front of you or watch some good playthroughs because even to this day, anytime we set it back up, I have to breeze over the rules again and we end up looking something up. Fact. It's called a cold world. Cold war can't speak it was called the cold war because there technically wasn't any fighting between the usa and the ussr however there were multiple proxy wars if you think about like the korean war if you think about vietnam if you think about charlie wilson's war in afghanistan which many say was the turning point for the fall of the ussr even though it's called the cold war because there wasn't any fighting between the two nations there was still fighting between the two nations Basically, everyone was scared something was going to happen, but nothing did. Duck and cover. And it was a bit more, like, political. Did you ever duck and cover? No. We didn't either. Well, we well, we did. Like, we had some teachers who still did the duck and cover. I remember whenever I was in, like, the kindergarten, I think. You were in the kindergarten. I was in the kindergarten, which we have to realize when we were in kindergarten, this was just, like, six years after the fall of the USSR. True. And so we did... But then they just, like, transformed into tornado drills, which we had anyway. So it was just, like, a hide-from-nuclear-war and tornadoes drill. Yeah, that's that's what we learned the whole time was tornadoes. But, yes, that is Twilight Struggle. I feel like we've touched on everything but actually playing the game, even though I did talk about that. Uh, It's hard to describe playing this game because it's literally you're figuring out the best move, and then your opponent is immediately going to do something that counteracts that, and back and forth and back and forth. Or you're going to play something in Western Europe, and they're going to play something in South America. And you're like, what are you doing over there? I should go over to South America so you can't do anything else. And then they move to the Middle East, and you're like, shit, I'm behind again. And the whole time, it's that way. I will say, the game is balanced to where the USSR has a strong start, and the USA has a strong finish. So the USSR, it's weighted toward them in the early war, and during the late war, it shifts to where the USA has a stronger hand. It has so many goddamn people in their population. Basically. So that's how the game's going to go. Hopefully our descriptions and kind of our explanations and stuff, aside from just the fact that we like this game a lot, even though I find it extremely frustrating because I can never, ever win this game. Uh, I find that very frustrating. However, it's very good. It's definitely worth a play, even if you only pick up the app on sale and try it that way. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. President Kennedy did a speech at the Berlin Wall. Very famous speech. Uh, This was in, what, like 1966 or something like that? I can't remember the exact year. But uh, he goes to the Berlin Wall and he speaks to East Germany. And he says, his speech is called Ich bin ein Berliner. And so he's trying to resonate with the Berlin people. Like, I am also a Berliner, is basically what I'm also from Berlin. What what he doesn't realize is that in German you would say Ich bin Berliner, which means I'm I'm from Berlin. If you say Ich bin ein Berliner... I am a jelly donut. Nice, because a Berliner is a type of donut. Type of jelly donut. Nice. It's been ein Berliner, a jelly donut. This is why having someone who knows the language before you give a speech to another country is important. (laughs) Du hast Rex. There you go. You are right. I think with that, I think we can both say that, especially you, highly recommend this game. Of course I do. It's so much fun, and there's so much history. I hope that this actually made you interested in the game, or at least sort of understand how the game is going to function without me getting into the details, because if I tried to get into the details of how to play, we'd be here forever, longer than we've already been. And we've, we're we just scratching the surface of what makes us excited about this game. Well, the thing is, like, you know, in, in the Cold War, everybody's senses were heightened. Everybody was scared, because at any moment, nuclear war could start. Because not only did the United States and USSR have a nuclear arsenal, but all of their allies did. And so with mutually assured destruction, basically that was if one person sets off a bomb, then everybody else is going to, and basically the whole world's going to die, so nobody set off a bomb. So everybody was just flying by the seat of their pants trying to survive. And I feel like this game does a really great job of giving that essence. Like, the whole time it's a tug of war. It's a tug of war back and forth. Who's going to be on top? Who's going to be on top? Who's going to be on top? That's what she said. That's what she said. 
this is episode 69. I have to throw it in there. But at any moment, the game could be over due to nuclear war. It is that close the whole time. You are constantly trying to navigate between advocating for your own interests, not pissing off the other side enough to where you lead to nuclear war. So it is great. It captures the essence of the zeitgeist. It is a really fun game. It's really engaging for one to three hours of play. It is definitely a one to three hour game, depending on how quickly or how slowly you play and how your decisions play out. We have ended it at basically like 45 minutes because I did so badly. And we've played it for as long as like close to two hours. In Delton's defense, but not quite. he does start off with the USA because I'm always USSR. We do need to switch it up. At some point, we'll switch it up. I'll still do bad, but that's okay. I just love to be Mother Russia. Well, I think with speaking of Mother Russia and the comrades and communist parties, I think we should move to the topic. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. To the commie sons of bitches. There you go. So for this second beer, as we enter into the topic today, is from Marshall Brewing Company, which is here in Oklahoma. This is Big Jamoke Coffee, a porter brewed with coffee. It says, diligently crafted in collaboration with our friends at Topeka Coffee Roasters. I'm guessing Topeka, Kansas. This is brewed in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I do not see an alcohol by volume. Alcohol there it is, by 6. volume. 6.8. Yes. But it is a coffee porter, so it will not be as thick as that stout we just had but it will still be good. It is dark. Uh, you still pretty much don't get any light except for the bottom of the glass more so than before. You can smell coffee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This one smells a lot more like coffee than the last one. And you get some like sweetness in there, like what, a sugary. What style is this? It is a coffee porter. Ooh, beautiful. It tastes like they just mixed coffee in with the beer. It really does. That's what I was about to say. It's, it tastes like, you know, whenever you get a cup of coffee at a hotel, and let's say you like roll into a hotel like two in the morning and you still have stuff to do. So you get a cup of coffee. That's what this tastes like. Whenever the coffee is not the best coffee, but God, it tastes so good in the moment. Yeah. It's like something about having this coffee taste mixed with this alcohol right now. It just tastes so good. It's a lot thinner than the Imperial Stout, as it should be. It has a consistency more akin to a standard beer consistency, especially a dark beer. And it's got a little foam on the taste, but... It's pretty smooth. It's not too abrasive on the tongue. It's got a little bit of a coffee finish, a little bit of sweetness that lingers in there. But aside from that, it's, uh, I I don't want to say plain, but it's a coffee porter. It's not a fancy one. It's pretty good. It's not my favorite, but this is definitely something I would, I mean, I would drink it again. Oh yeah, definitely would. Which Marshall, I mean, I like Marshall Brewing. It's just, they're, they're not wild and crazy. They're not, they they don't push the limits at all. Yeah. Which is, which is a good thing. It's not. I mean, depending on the day, some days we want like a, just a basic beer. Sometimes we want our taste buds to be stabbed. It just depends on the day. The hard part is when you've had as much craft beer as we have from Oklahoma, uh, you find like, I want a coffee porter. Well, here's the coffee porter I'm going to drink, or here's the two or three. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like that, and it's hard for someone to poke their way. You saying we're snooty? We're coffee snobs. We are, we are beer snobs a little bit. It's hard for someone to, to pull their way in without doing something crazy or just phenomenal. So I'm going to point that out. But Marshall's not my favorite brewery. However, I've never been disappointed by their stuff. Yeah. So I like that. It's pretty good. Well, the theme for today's episode, now that we have our second beer poured, is communism in games. The commies. So Haley, I want you to take this away because I don't have strong feelings one way or the other. I am part of Dupe uh, for communism themes in games. And I mean, they're interesting, but they're just as interesting to me as most other themes. So I want you to take the lead on this one and let everyone know why you love it so damn much. Just so it doesn't hurt my political future, I'm not a communist. I'm just obsessed with the communists. Like, I love learning about the USSR. I love learning about the Cold War. I did a paper in graduate school about the psychology of the Soviet Union constitution, and I think I really scared my my professor. I, I compared Vygotsky, which was a um, he was a developmental psychologist specialist. So basically, he his premise was scaffolding. You help them a little, like you push them a little bit until they can get to your level. Then you push them a little bit, that, that scaffolding part, and how it relates to basically the Soviet ideology 
and their constitution, which was fantastic, by the way. So I just love, I'm going to toot my own horn. It was a, it was a great presentation and great paper. I did great research. But I, I just love learning about the mentality, not only of the USSR citizens, but the United States citizens. There's such a us versus them. It was such a hot and a cold. It was so black and white. Like if you watch uh, a lot of the Nickelodeon shows from back in the 1980s, like you watch, uh, what was it? Gak or Slam or something like that. Like they had green slime that would fall on the on the participants. But every once in a while, they would cut to their quote unquote Soviet counterparts, and it'd be this bumbling fool. And their Gak, their slime would be red, and they pour it on them. They go, "Oh no, I'm a bumbling fool. I'm a I'm a communist." Had like a really obviously cheesy Russian ac- uh, accent, and that was like that. Separ- that was so crazy. I mean, that was shown to us as kids. That was still in the era we were kids. And that was something that was just part of TV up until the the 80s, early 90s. There's such a separation there. And so with these games, these communist games, it's not just a thing, but it's how it makes you feel whenever you're playing them. Like with Twilight Struggle, it's a two-player game, and you are sweating as you're playing. You are having to think, what is your opponent going to do? Because everything that you play, almost everything you play, your opponent has a benefit. And how are they going to use your own powers against you? Same thing with 13 Days. It's like a smaller version. I mean, so... 13 Days is all about the Cuban Missile Crisis. So the Cuban Missile Crisis, basically, the USSR said they weren't putting rockets somewhere. We discovered pictures that they were putting rockets somewhere, so we put rockets somewhere else. And then basically, at the in 13 Days, we were really certain we were going to go to nuclear war, and we didn't. But it's it's kind of the same feeling as Twilight Struggle. You're just going back and forth, and the, the game only takes 45 minutes rather than one to three hours. And so Cuban Missile Crisis is the same way. But a lot of these games, it's a lot of intrigue it's a lot of trying to figure out your opponents what they're going to do next it's a lot of my powers they can also use against me think about ben canellis's game red scare you're trying to figure out which one of your opponents are part of your team versus the other team there's a lot of mistrust there's a lot of trying to figure out your opponent there's a lot of secrecy involved and so i really love these games not because it's communist theme but because of the essence that it gives it's the distrust or mistrust it is the back and forth. It is the, I don't trust you, you don't trust me, but if I step too far to one side, I'm going to cause nuclear war. And that's what the zeitgeist of the Cold War was. Like, we were each watching each other and trying to pull forward the USSR versus the USA, but if we took too big of a step, the other one would retaliate with nuclear war, or so we assumed. And so it was just a whole period of high anxiety, high stress, but also this kind of tango of trying to Keep the other person in your sight while still progressing your own agenda. And it was great. And so that's why I love the communist theme games. I mean, that makes sense. They do have this feeling of stepping too far over the line. So in Twilight Struggle, it's very obvious. It's the U.S. and Russia and the USSR. And you're trying to ride that line without going too far. Now, a game that is made very similar to this, also by GMT Games, is Labyrinth. Now, Labyrinth is... 2001, The War on Terror, and it's the United States versus, I forget what they say, it's, I can't remember. I can't remember either, but. It's, it's something along the line of, uh, like, extremists, essentially. The only problem I have with that game is it says 2001 to question mark whenever it was produced last year. And it wasn't sh- produced last year. Well, this edition was last year. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like this edition uh, was last year, and it still has a question mark. When George Bush mm-hmm. said "Mission Accomplished" in 2003. Oh, uh, I think. Oh, I see what you're saying. You turd. <laughs> uh, cool side note: they actually have two different continuation expansions for that game that continue the dates moving forward. Since it's still kind of something we're not out of. Anyway, my original point of that was the game plays very similarly. You have cards, card play, action, taking control of stuff, this and that, but it does not have the same feeling of. You don't want to push too far, but you can't be super lax. That one, like, yes, that's still true for the game, but it doesn't feel as tense. So I see what you're saying. It doesn't have that same aspect because we're always taught since we were kids, at least in Oklahoma, that U.S. good, Russia bad. Right. Like, people still feel fear the commies. Yeah. Which is crazy. But yeah, the, the war on terror one is a lot different because... In Afghanistan, you're not battling against a country. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, Britain came in and drew lines around Afghanistan, a whole bunch of tribes, and said, Afghanistan. And they're like, we're still like independent tribes. And they're like, Afghanistan. And so you're not battling against Afghanistan, even though they quote-unquote have a government. You're battling against 
different tribes within the region. If if you ever get a chance, there's so Tom Hanks made a movie called Charlie Wilson's War. It is a true story. There is a book written about it, and it is the most wild true story I have ever read in my whole life, not only from an individual perspective, but from a sociopolitical perspective as well, of how much influence one man had over the outcomes of two different countries. But it explores the uh, Afghanistan's role in the Cold War and basically the U.S. coming in and making some friends and them fighting off the Russians. Fantastic, but Russia's a, or Afghanistan is a whole different ball game, man. Oh yeah, it's not just a unified country; it's a whole bunch of, you know, different areas that will kick your ass. Yep. Science fact. Well, there you go. But yes, yeah, so that game is very different, even though it plays very similarly. But that is something that is with all these games, and so the games we've played have played that are themed around either USSR and the U.S. tensions or just communism in general it's going to be twilight struggle right off Haley already mentioned red scare uh, and she mentioned 13 days the cuban missile crisis i remember what it is now so okay so russia made a deal with cuba put missiles in cuba we got pictures they said they weren't going to do it so we put our missiles in turkey facing russia and it was kind of like a tap dance there to see who's going to cave first who was going to push the button Yes. Luckily, nobody did. Nobody did. Nobody did. Thank goodness. We're all alive. So those are the games we have played. Uh, Red Scare is more of a social deduction style. It's uh, You should be playing it with a variant, which means real time. It's a fast-paced figuring things out. Finger pointing. Trying to figure out who is part of you, your team, and part of the enemy team. 13 Days, like Haley said, is a fast version of Twilight Struggle, essentially. Then we actually have... Two games we have yet to play on our shelf that are indeed communist-themed. One of which is directly communist-themed. It is 1989 Dawn of Freedom. And that's the one that Cole Worley had um, suggested I pick up. Yes. I was standing in line. I know I told this story before. I was standing in line at BGG Con, and uh, Gates, our friend Gates, introduced me to her friend Cole. I was like, hi, Cole. And he's, and she was like, hey, she likes communist games. You should give her some examples. And he was like, oh, she get 1989. I was like, oh, okay, I'll see if I can pick it up. And Dalton's like, that's Cole Worley. And I was like, Cole Worley. And it's the guy who does uh, Pax Premier. And Root. And I was like, oh, because I saw Dalton was says Worley. And his, I pronounced his name like the German version in my head. And so yeah. I didn't make the connection that I was the same person because I didn't pronounce it the same way. I was like, shit, man, Cole Worley said I should get that game. So by God, I got it. I always said his name the German way. And I think I even did in our Root review. I think so. However, he pronounces it Worley. And so that's just what I've stuck with. But yes, he recommended that. Gates actually picked it up for us and said, look what I found. <laughs> Gates is a good friend. And his other recommendation of a game that's just like a riotous good time and kind of crazy was Kremlin, which we also picked up at the BGG Bazaar. So we have that on our shelf as well. But another communist game that we actually played was Koyeka. Yep. And so that one was, it's produced by the, uh, I, I'm not sure the name of the museum. It's basically the Polish Museum of Soviet history or something like that. Because, you know, Poland yeah. was part of the Soviet Union. It was behind the Iron Curtain. Mm -hmm. And basically the game is all about standing in line. And so it, it's supposed to be, I mean, not quite a mockery of the, the Soviet government, but kind of is. It's kind of like a reminder of what the uh, the Soviet Union really did to the economy. Yeah. So you stand in line trying to get these goods to fulfill your orders, fulfill your shopping list. And sometimes the orders go to you, sometimes they don't. Sometimes your store gets the wrong order, like a furniture store will get some eggs, or a clothing store will get chairs. So you never really know what you're going to get all of the time. You can just try to bet your luck. But, it's like I said, it's produced by one of the Polish museums. It's supposed to be to make light, but also be a reminder of what they went through. And so it really does give you the frustration and the feeling. I mean, not to the largest extent of living behind the Iron Curtain for all of your life. I mean, you have to make it a fun experience. Yeah, but it, it's a really interesting game to kind of get in that headspace. Oh my God, this is a pain in the ass. And I'm sitting here for an hour and a half. What was this like living behind the Iron Curtain for 40 plus years? Definitely. And that one was the one that Tyler recommended. Yes. Because he worked a lot with Portal Games and Portal Games is from Poland, I believe. Uh, and so that was when we sat down at BGGCon. Hi, Tyler. It's been a long time. Hi, Tyler. 
He said we have to go to twice as many cons next year so we can hang out twice as much. We can do that. And I think that that can be arranged most likely. He also suggested a, a cat a cat communist game that we totally yep. backed. It was backed on Kickstarter. It was a I think it was just communism cats or communist cats. I think so. And like as a cat mom and a commie lover, oh my god, I am so excited. But yeah, so those are the communist games we own. One that we have coming on its way from Kickstarter once it gets to that point, probably early next year. And I don't think we have anything else that is communist themed, but I guess the big thing that we like of those games are they, they're very, very tense. There are games that have a similar feeling to these, where it's two people playing back and forth, trying to react to one another, such as Watergate from Capstone Games, which we talked about and are very, very much in love with. And there's just, I mean, there's plenty of two-player games, and something about that communism theme just really drives home the, you know, you have to beat your opponent. For Mother Russia. Or for the great U.S. of A. Did I sound enthused? Yes. Okay. Enthused enough. I guess with that, we need to move on to the question. And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special bite-sized question. So, our question for the episode is, which Soviet Union president do you have a crush on? No. The real question, because I would not be able to, be able to answer. Khrushchev, heart. The real question of the episode is, fictitious or real, who is your favorite like Russian character, persona, real person, anything like that? So I'm going to go with Pussy Riot. Are you familiar with them? Oh, the band? The band. Like They led so many protests against uh, Putin and the Russian government. And they did not give a shit. They were arrested and sent to labor camps, and they some of them got out and just did it again. They don't care. I love Pussy Riot. They are badasses. We need to watch that documentary about them. Oh, there's a documentary? Yeah, remember? No. Oh, yeah, there's a documentary about it. That's awesome. I, I thought so. I could be wrong. We need to look this up. Oh, snap. I want to watch it then. So my answer for my favorite is fictitious, and it's only because it was my first real exposure to a Russian character that was like a badass. And it was Natalia, I believe she was Russian, in GoldenEye 007 on the Nintendo 64. Oh, my God. Because she had a machine gun in one hand and a grenade launcher in the other. And once you beat her, I believe you got to use the same dual-wield combo. And it was so fun. And no Fs given. No Fs were given. And that was, that was a fun time back in the day with my old N64. That's awesome. Where are you going? Like, we should talk about just a few movies that you should watch if you're interested in it. Like... Of course, a lot of these are from the Western perspective, but like uh, Red o- Hunt for Red October, yeah, really gives you a feel of the Soviet Union, the the Cold War. Uh, Charlie Wilson's War is ridiculous, but it talks a lot about the uh, war in Afghanistan, the proxy war, quote unquote. The book goes into more detail than the movie. The movie sensational sensationalizes it, but it's still really good. But also, Delton, uh, one that Haley had me watch. It's in German, right? Yes, but they have good subtitles. Yes, but it is a movie called Goodbye Lenin, and it's essentially, I guess they're teenagers when the wall falls. And they're in their 20s. They're in their 20s, the wall falls, and Germany is reunified as one country, and part of the big thing is that their mother was in a coma, essentially, and wakes up after the wall has fallen. So they try to like recreate her room in the same way as their Eastern, because they were on Eastern Germany, uh, the same way as they had then, and like, there's so many things where they have a limited time to get their Eastern money turned into, uh, I guess, Western, is it the Marks? Mm-hmm. Yep. To turn them into Marks and all that. And they finally figure out where it's at. And it's like, oh, no, it's too late. We have a wheelbarrow full of junk. And it's just a really interesting movie that I feel like uh, kind of gives you a taste of sort of how it felt at the time. And it was just really interesting. And it was a neat film. And being that it's from a European country, I feel like a lot of films I've been seeing from European countries and other languages have been very interesting in the way that they uh, approach movies. And so I really enjoyed it, even though it's been years since we watched it. I really like it because it shows, uh, so the main character and his co-worker, like the main character's from East Berlin, the, mm-hmm. the, his buddies from, his co-worker's from West Berlin, and it really shows the mistrust in the beginning of their relationship. Because yeah. if you grow up in that propaganda for so long and you learn to mistrust this individual, and all of a sudden, oh, you're one country, you're brethren, it's like, what? Like, I'm, yeah. I was raised for the last 20-something years to mistrust this person. Now you just expect us to work together editing film. 
It's wonderful. It's a really cool movie, but yes, those are basically the only movies I know about this stuff. That's all the movies I recommend right now. Three is pretty good. Get you a head start for next week. Definitely. So I think that that's going to wrap up this episode, which this is going to be one of the longer episodes we've done in a while. Yeah, right. And I think it's because you did most of the talking. With my hands. You're so excited about communism, and I get it. I totally get it. There you go. Uh, So before we run, I'm going to give a big thank you to our Patreon backers. It's going to be Alan, Allison, Jesse, and Catherine. They all pledge at patreon.com slash malthousegames, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S games, at a level in which we shout them out on the podcast. If you would like to be like them, go to that web address, patreon.com slash malthousegames, and you can check out the different tiers and the different things and shout-outs that we do from there. If you have any questions for us that either you want to just ask us in general or for us to answer on the episode, a topic for us to talk about, or a game you would like us to look at, feel free to send us an email, contact at malthousegames.com. You can always find me personally at Delton Brack. You can find us all over the social media at Malthouse Games, and you can find Haley at... C-O-M... M-U-S, I'm just kidding. I was no. <laughs> S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-L-Y-G-E-K. At Squirrely Geek. I think that is going to wrap everything up. So thank you again for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode 69. We will see you Ay. next time Ay, for episode 70. Nice. So until then, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Toodaloo. Bye.